Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. Welcome back to another episode of the Deal Deep Dive segment on the Westside Investors Network podcast. I'm your host, Trent Werner. In this segment, our featured guests will share their unique stories on a specific deal they've invested in. We will dive deep into finding the deal, financing the deal, writing an offer, and the due diligence. Do us a solid and smash that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this episode. And now, let's dive deep. Welcome back to the Westside Investors Network Deal Deep Dive episode. I'm your host, Trent Werner. On today's Deal Deep Dive episode, we're joined by Greg Lehrman. Greg has been doing 1031 exchanges for over 20 years and has experience exchanging anything from businesses to real estate branches to real estate, oil rights, mineral rights, everything you can think of when it comes to 1031 exchanges. Greg is going to share an example about his client that sold a 60-acre property and turned that into $600,000 of mailbox money on an annual basis, setting up his family, generational wealth. I'm excited to introduce Greg Lehrman. All right. As I mentioned, we are back with another Deal Deep Dive episode with Greg Lehrman joining us today. Greg, thanks so much for being here. And for those of our audience that don't know who you are, please just take a couple minutes and share who Greg Lehrman is. Yeah, thank you. So I've been a lawyer now for 40 years and I'm double board certified in commercial and residential real estate. There's less than 1% of attorneys in the country are double board certified. And yet I've spent the last 29 years focusing on one thing, just one thing. Some of my lawyer buddies laughed when I first got into it. They said, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. And I said, yeah. And even though they could take this away any moment, I've been doing it for 29 years. It's still going strong. So what I've done for the last 29 years is help people sell real estate without paying taxes. I don't take the job away from real estate agents. The main people I team up with are real estate agents. I speak to realtors and attorneys and CPAs and bankers and financial advisors. So this is relevant to anybody that has anything to do with real estate or clients that have real estate. And yet probably 80% of my focus is actually working with realtors. So I'm the kind of person that you as a real estate agent call on if you have a client that wants to sell business or investment real estate, but really hates the idea of paying taxes to the government. I'm the guy that can help you overcome that obstacle to a real estate deal. I don't think I could think of a better partner for someone's team than you. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I do it. That's why it's so enjoyable. I love it. I mean, every time I'm speaking to somebody, they get happy. It's a happy thing to do. Well, Greg, and I know a lot of people, especially real estate investors who are listening to this conversation, a lot of people have heard of 1031 exchanges. And I think there's a lot of 30,000 foot level definitions and descriptions of it. If you had to give your 30,000 foot level description or definition of a 1031 exchange, what would you say? One thing I would do as a visual aid is I would get a bucket of dirt and I would just kind of pile it on my desk and show you this pile of dirt because 102 years, this is about as simple of a concept as you can think of. That's kind of weird since it sounds so complicated. It sounded weird and mysterious to me and hard before I started doing it. This is how simple this is and why I would have a pile of dirt here, okay? 
1921, farmers went to Congress and said, how can I sell a farm for more than I paid for it years ago if I want to take all my money and buy a more expensive farm? If I can buy a more expensive farm, I can grow more crops and that'll make more money and I can do better for my kids. Also, I can hire more people and I can pay more income taxes by making more money. But Congress, I can't do this. Tell me how I can pay taxes with dirt. If I sell a farm and I've spent all my money on another farm, next year I file my tax return. You're saying I got to pay taxes on that farm I sold. And you got to show me how I can pay taxes with all this dirt I bought. That is all this is. That's all this is. This has been in the code 102 years. As you said, most people haven't heard about it or they've just heard a little bit about it. It's been around 102 years. And the tax code says you do not have to pay taxes if you sell certain types of real estate. And we can get into that. But if you sell certain types of real estate and do what they call an exchange of what they call like kind property, then you don't pay taxes. You defer it into the next property. It's different than a primary residence. If you sell your primary residence, meaning you lived there two of the last five years, a married couple gets a half a million dollar gain tax-free and a single person gets a quarter million dollar tax-free and it is totally tax-free and there's nothing that comes into play as far as what you do with the money. It's just tax-free. You can do that every two years if you live in another house for two years. So that's tax-free. This is tax-deferred. Congress only lets you not pay taxes as long as you keep doing this. So it's considered, quote, only tax-deferred. However, some people, when they say only, they're shortchanging the benefit of it. It's huge, huge, huge benefit to deferring. It's almost always better to pay taxes later than today, because if you pay later, those dollars are going to be cheaper. And when you don't pay taxes and you buy more real estate, you buy more real estate with those tax dollars, and that pays you more money. So every year that you defer, you make a lot more money. Guess what? You only pay taxes ever if you get out of real estate down the road. And guess what else? The interest rate is zero. So yeah, every year you defer, you make more money. On top of that, a lot of people, more than half of our clients are never going to pay the tax. They stay in real estate their whole life and they make the most money by doing that. And then guess what happens when they die? Their heirs get a step up in basis, which means the heirs pretend they paid for it, what it was worth when they inherited it. And the tax truly does go away forever. It's just amazing what it does for you. And you can leverage your tax dollars. So let's say your taxes would have just been $25,000 on a small residential deal. If you're putting 25% down in the next property, how much more can you buy on a little residential deal where your taxes would have only been 25 grand? Well, if you add that to your 25% down payment, Every 25 grand you defer adds 100 grand to what you can buy. It gives you a lot more buying power. You buy a lot more real estate. You make a lot more money. And every year you do it, you compound the benefits. So that's what it is in a nutshell. And I've heard a saying, swap till you drop. And that's what Greg just talked about there was keep swapping real estate, trading up until you eventually drop. And then your heirs get to to inherit it at a step-up cost basis, which is... I don't know why anyone wouldn't do this, aside from the fact that they think it's complicated and confusing, which if you've never done one before, it pays to have professionals in your pocket that know what they're doing and been doing it for a long time. When it comes to doing a 1031 exchange, and a lot of people that have heard 
a little bit about it, they think, okay, I can exchange a multifamily property for a multifamily property, but it goes deeper than that. You mentioned already that you can swap businesses and real estate. What is an example of something that maybe someone doesn't know you can exchange for real estate? Exactly. That's a huge part of every class. I've given classes for 29 years from one hour to nine hours. And every class, that's exactly what I start with. There's really only three words you need to know. And actually, you don't need to know any more than having a good 1031 person in your back pocket and you call them anyway. You want your client to talk with your 1031 company directly. But as far as to cover the topic more in depth, it's only three words. It's only what is like kind, what is exchange and what is qualified intermediary. And I always cover it in that order. And that's what you just brought up perfectly. And none of those words mean what they sound like at all. Like, kind, and exchange, it's a different language. It is a different language. Specifically, like, kind, and exchange are so much better than they sound. And the fact that like, kind sounds more limiting than it is keeps a lot of properties out there from selling. So like, kind, and exchange is a lot better than it sounds. So that's part of your offensive game plan. Qualified intermediary is a lot worse than it sounds. And so you could lose everything you were about to gain if you don't learn what QI means. So I give that as an overview and to compliment you on the order in which you're talking about this. The first thing to talk about is like kind. So the thing is, the tax code says all you got to do is be selling and buying like kind real estate. Well, like you said, that makes a lot of people, even a lot of CPAs and lawyers, that makes them think, oh, I'm selling an apartment complex. I got to buy an apartment complex. And it's just so much better than that. So all you got to ask is, am I selling an interest in real property anywhere in the United States that I was holding for use in a business or for investment? If the answer is yes, guess what you get to buy? It has nothing to do with what you sold, the way I look at it, because you get to start over in a way. You get to buy anything that's an interest in real property anywhere in the U.S. that you're holding for any kind of business or investment that's real property. And Trent, don't let me forget to talk about the word held after we do this. We really want to flesh out what kinds of properties qualify, and then we do want to cover the fact that it has to be held. But the categories are very broad. You can sell single-family rentals and buy multifamily rentals or commercial real estate or farms and ranches. The biggest surprises are like groundwater. Some people sell water under a ranch and buy a whole nother ranch. And they don't pay any taxes for the groundwater that they sold. So they use that money to buy a whole nother ranch. Oil and gas is the biggest surprise and a lot of times produces the most returns. You literally can sell a bunch of rent houses and not take any more calls from any more tenants. And you can buy the income off of oil wells, if you can believe that, because minerals are real estate. You can buy an interest in minerals. You can even do a conservation easement. Sometimes a private organization that likes to preserve open space or the government that wants to protect certain property, they will pay you to put an easement on your property to give up the right to develop it. But you get to keep using it under the terms of that conservation easement. Sometimes you still get quite a bit of use, sometimes not as much. You can use that to buy other real estate. I have someone that was just paid $4.7 million to put a conservation easement on the 120 acres they lived on. They get to keep living on that part where that they live on and they get to build up to seven more homes on 20 acres and the other 100 acres they can't touch. But there's pathways, dirt pathways that go through the woods and that's what they love doing anyway. And forever, they and their heirs can keep walking through the woods on those pathways. They can't create any new ones. 
But by giving up the right to develop that property, and it's valuable because it's right next to a water supply, and that's why the government didn't want them to develop it. And they put two million of the four point seven into oil and gas royalties, and they're making three hundred thousand a year off of that. And then they bought a a nice, uh, very nice high end uh, vacation rental in northern New Mexico for two point seven million. So like kind is very broad. One guy said like kind means if you like that kind, buy it. <laughs> and the reason I ask that is because I've had a client that's done an exchange and he sold a gas station that he had owned and operated for decades and ended up buying rental real estate that someone else manages now. And before I went through that process with him, I had the same preconceived notion of, oh, you have to sell real estate or real estate for real estate. But in reality, it can be, like you said, like kind which is something that I learned during that process. And that's why I wanted to bring that up because a lot of people have that same preconceived notion that I did of that has to be rental properties for rental properties or somewhere along that line. So that's why I wanted to get your opinion on that. If someone is going to go through a 1031 exchange, you mentioned the word held, it has to be held. What does that mean? Yeah. So that's the number one question for this reason. Guess what? The tax code doesn't define that word. That's why you still hear, if you're in this world, you hear people ask that a lot. That's because the tax code doesn't bother to define that word, but it makes clear this is not for flips. This is not for flips. It's definitely not for wholesalers. You don't even take title, but it's not even for people that are buying and then putting on the market right away, but they don't tell you how long you have to hold it. That means it's based on your intent. Now, If you hear rough rules of thumb, those are okay as rough rules of thumb, but a lot of times people take them too literally and apply them too universally to every situation. These are merely rough rules of thumb when it comes to duration. But again, duration is only one of the factors showing your intent, but duration is kind of the most obvious and the simplest. So yes, we all agree to just sort of vague, unofficial rules of thumb that you generally don't do a 1031 on a property you haven't even held a year. And then between one and two years is considered moderate. And then once you get past two years, there is situation after situation in the tax code where two years is considered a long time. In most cases, over 90% of the cases, any pieces of real estate that you have held for use in your business or for investment for longer than two years It's kind of a no-brainer that that qualifies. That's over 90, probably 95%. The reason it's not 100% is the code doesn't limit it to just duration. So what are the 5% of the cases where either you don't have to hold it two years, it would qualify, or you do hold it longer than two years and it doesn't qualify? Well, in this recent boom we went through for two or three years, that was crazy. Well, I had person after person that called me and said, well, here's an example. Somebody called me and said, we paid 3.1 million bucks for 320 acres out in the country. Three months later, someone offered us $3 million for 160 of these 300 acres. Three months after we bought this, they offered us as much as we paid for the whole thing to buy half of it. Well, they weren't trying to sell that property. Their intent was to hold it long term. And then someone gave them an unsolicited offer. So a common thing that allows you to sell without even awaiting a year is if you are buying to sit on a good couple of years and someone wants to come along and make you a crazy unsolicited offer, ma'am, you can take it and do another 1031. So that's a beautiful thing. You don't have to wait two years. 
under the right circumstances. You just have to buy it with the intent to hold it. You also can't buy it as a primary residence. But after a couple of years, you can move into it. That's unbelievable. Well, we had a case of Resync is a case, R-E-E-S-I-N-K. Someone sold a rental to buy a rental. That's the most common 1031 there is. And they tried to rent it out in just a few months. I mean, they tried to rent it out. And after six months, they had no takers and they lost their job. They were facing financial ruin pretty soon. They weren't going to be able to pay the mortgage on the house they lived in or this house they just bought in the 1031. And the best way out was them to quickly sell their home that they could sell a lot faster for a lot more money and move into this property they bought as a rental. And guess what? Yeah, they moved into this property eight months after they bought it as a 1031. Now, that almost never is going to qualify. In this situation, it did. And that's probably clear to anybody listening. They proved they bought it with the intent to rent it. They couldn't rent it and they needed to move into it, but it wasn't their plan. So that's how short holding periods qualify in the way that long holding periods don't qualify. If you buy a property for resale and that's clearly your intent and you list it on MLS and after you buy it, if the only reason you hold it two years is nobody wanted it and then you sell it three years down the road, that doesn't qualify. It's all the circumstances that show your intent. And now here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through offsite professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done. Have freedom in your time and streamline your life by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com. Uptown Syndication is now offering a syndication coaching program for you to take your real estate portfolio to the next level. This is your opportunity to have experienced syndicators, AJ and Chris Shepard, coach you on your way to controlling your real estate investing future. Our coaching program will provide you with the tools and framework needed to begin syndicating real estate in your target market. Go to uptownsyndication.com today to learn more. One quick question before we dive into our example deal today. Going back to that situation that you said someone bought 300 acres and ended up getting an unsolicited offer for half of it. If that person was to buy the 300 acres with the intent of subdividing and basically getting half of it ready for builders to come in and sell them off to builder, can they 1031 those lots that they bought ready for building? Yeah, that doesn't qualify. I'm glad you brought that up to contrast what does qualify with what doesn't. You're right. That wouldn't qualify. Because that's more along the lines of a flip, per se. Yeah, our dealer property, even if it's not real quick, it's not real quick. They don't just qualify quick flips. They just qualify property bought for resale. A developer who buys land to cut into lots and sell lots to builders, that doesn't qualify even if it takes them a long time. So, Greg, what example deal are we talking about today? We are talking about this 86-year-old farmer who bought his dirt about 60 years ago when nothing was around it. Not only was it with cheap dollars 60 years ago, but the land was dirt cheap. But he was just one guy farming. He never made 100000 in his life. And he was 86 years old and he was still on his tractor farming. Now, this property was, well, like so many people, this isn't a unique situation at all. This applies in every city in America, probably. Every city probably has this, just about any city that's grown at all. You have this situation where 
now his property is not considered out in the middle of nowhere. Development has gone up against him. And this developer offers him over $6 million for his piece of dirt. So he sold it for $6 million. He didn't owe anything on it. So he just took out closing costs. It was a little over $6 million so that once you took out closing, it kind of rounded to an even $6 million. And the hot thing going on that right now is going into mailbox money. I've alluded to a couple of examples. There's so many great ways to use 1031s. You can use it to consolidate a bunch of rentals into multifamily. You can diversify. It goes on and on. You can move property all over the country. And then real big one is just going from high maintenance real estate to low maintenance or from uh, dirt to it may not be high maintenance, but it's not paying you a lot of cash to cash flow. So that gets me back to this example. This guy sold for $6 million. He put $3 million in what's called a DST. That's like a fractional interest in a Amazon warehouse. You can do that. And $3 million into oil and gas. So on the $3 million he put into Amazon DST, he's getting 5%. Those generally pay from 35 to 5%. And he's getting 150000 a year off that $3 million. He's getting 15% a year off of the $3 million he put into minerals. That's four fifty. He's getting $600,000 a year. And he doesn't have to keep working. He can get to where he totally can't even get out of bed. And he gets $600,000 a year. And Trent, I promise you, that's not what he was most excited about. What was he most excited about? A hint is he has five kids. Five grown kids. <laughs> so what I was, gonna was say, to, I was going to say, he probably set up his family pretty well with those investments. Yeah. And a big thing is what he got away from worrying. It sounds all positive. It's mainly all positive. But what he was most excited about was getting away from a negative. There's thousands, if not millions of people in this situation where it's an older person that starts worrying about leaving their one family farm to more than one kid that doesn't know how to work it, is not interested in it. And besides that, if it's more than one kid, they got to agree on when, if ever, to sell the family farm or whatever other asset it is. He had been worried about that for years since among five kids, of course, they got different personalities. They may or may not get along. Some of them care about the land, some don't. He just sold it. He put it into this cash flowing mailbox money. Each kid gets 20% of his DST and 20% of the minerals, it's pure cash to them. They never have to talk to each other and they each can decide what to do with their 20%. It's unbelievable. And we help people do that every day. And I probably should kind of summarize the three forms of mailbox money. Although you mentioned sort of a fourth one. Sometimes I mention that. Sometimes I kind of hone in on the three kind of official ones, but really Sometimes I actually mention the example you mentioned. The three that are kind of obvious are, one, if you want mailbox money, you can get a triple net lease property. I know some people listening to this know what that is, and some maybe don't. That's where you lease a property net of maintenance, taxes, and insurance. So bottom line, any Walgreens or CVS that you drive by that's a standalone building or that has dollar in it, like Dollar General, Most of those are owned by older 1031 investors who've never even been there. So you don't have headaches. You don't have to take care of the place. You just want to make sure you have an absolutely good guarantee from a parent company that will pay rent, whether they keep using that or not. That's a triple net lease. If you don't have enough money to buy a whole building, you buy what's called a DST. That's just an abbreviation for Delaware Statutory Trust, 
which is just think of a fractional interest. It's like a limited partnership. Unfortunately, and this is one of the biggest negatives, one of the biggest downers is, unfortunately, you cannot invest in a limited partnership because you're just getting a partnership interest. You can invest with other people, but it has to be set up as like a tenant in common where you're considered a direct owner of a percentage of the real estate. And a DST, just know that that's just a label for a type of fractional interest that does qualify. It's sort of like a limited partnership, but it has different characteristics that make it qualify. You have to buy those through a registered investment advisor. They're considered real estate for 1031s, but they are also a security under the Securities Act. You can buy those, like I said, a perfect example are Amazon warehouses. The ESPN World Headquarters is a DST. The Academy Sports and Outdoors Corporate Headquarters in Houston, Texas is a DST. And then the third one is oil and gas royalties. No headaches. You're just buying the income off of oil wells. It's just like buying the income off of rent houses without having to be responsible for upkeep of the rentals. And then the fourth one, like you mentioned, that's close to mailbox money, if, except you got to find the right manager. And that is buying nice new rentals, especially, and having someone manage them. That would be semi-mailbox money. You can just buy rentals. And if you don't want the headaches, have a good manager handle them. So yeah, that's a big deal. That's a great example was this 86-year-old farmer gets to quit working. He can get hurt or sick. He's making way more than six times as much as he ever made. And especially you can divide up this mailbox money among your heirs. Can't really do it with a single triple net lease property. The DSTs and the minerals, you can divide it up in your will. And I know not everyone that's doing or thinking about doing an exchange is in as fortunate of a position as having a valuable piece of land that they can sell to a developer and all that. But the principle applies for someone that has 10 single family homes and sells them all and exchanges them all into a DST or some of these other mailbox money ideas that you just mentioned. The principle is the same. It doesn't have to be one piece of property for one piece of property. You can do multiple sales and exchanges all into a common investment at the end of it. You can also go the other way. And that's what I did with my client. We had a great 1031 company working with us and we sold one gas or he sold one gas station and ended up buying three different properties that he's able to collect the rent and come on, which has helped him. It's put him in a position where he can go hunt and fish and do whatever he wants with his grandkids. And he doesn't have to worry about running the gas station anymore. And so to your point, Greg, is he's loving life. He's living life and he's collecting rent checks from his management company. And yeah, there's a small fee that gets taken out. But for him, the time and the ability to spend his time how he wants, that made it all worth it for him. Exactly. I'm glad you mentioned that. You do not need to have six million bucks. Every few years, Congress tries to take this away because they think it's just a loophole or it just benefits the top 1%. This is for everybody. The most common 1031 is selling a rental and buying two and the fees across the board. So not only do rentals qualify legally, they pencil out economically almost ever. The fees across the board are roughly in the $1,000 range. We charge $1,250 on the sale. We don't charge anything on up to three purchases. So you're right. I'm glad you said that. You don't have to have a $6 million sale to make this pay off. It's $1,250 with us. That's for one sale and up to three purchases. We start charging more if you have more than one sale or more than three purchases, but it's only $200 at each closing. It's nothing. And it's a closing cost you don't have to replace. You don't have to replace that. So uh, it just comes off the top and then you reinvest the rest, which does get into the word exchange as far as exchange. You know, 
the dollars, you want to know about the dollars you need to spend. You get to decide if you want to defer all the taxes or some. If you want to defer all the taxes, you can only take out direct closing costs like title company fees and real estate fees. And then you reinvest all your equity. And if you have a loan payoff, then you replace that either with a new loan or new cash if you want to defer all the taxes. Another one of the very few negatives I have for people is some people wish they could defer all the tax while only reinvesting their gain or their equity. There's a loan on it, but they think they should only have to invest their equity. You have to invest your equity and you have to replace the loan to defer all the taxes. But you can do a partial exchange. You can take a little money out and pay taxes on that and defer the rest. So that's fantastic. That's on the dollar part of it. Hey, again, it pays to have someone experienced that knows these different nuances and is able to walk you through it. Greg, is there a place that you would like for people to connect with you further? And if they're interested in partnering with you to do an exchange, is there anywhere people can find you? Yeah, I would say my easiest phone number is 855-41031. It's 855-41031, F-O-R. I think that's 367. My email is greg at apiexchange.com. Greg at apiexchange.com. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. But yeah, I welcome any questions. And the way that exchange is better than it sounds is just you have to have a 1031 company like you did ahead of time, as you know. So the only difference in selling and buying is you have a 1031 expert involved to answer your questions and do the papers. I can't emphasize that enough. You can't do a 1031 after the fact, after you've closed your sale. You have to document the sale. It's easy to do if you deal with somebody good. But you get to sell to whoever wants your property. It's not really an exchange. It used to mean exchange. You had to find somebody to swap with. But ever since 1991, an exchange just means you sell to whoever wants your property. And then you have a third party like us hold the funds. And you have 45 days to identify a group of properties you're considering and a total of 180 to close. So it's just like a rollover now. You just sell with 1031 papers. And your 1031 company is just your bank. That's just where you put the money. And then you do have to identify a group of properties you're considering within 45 days after closing and close within 180. There's no extensions unless there's a federally declared disaster like COVID or a hurricane or fires. So yeah, you do have to have papers before you close and identify what you want to buy within 45 and close within 180. That's an exchange. I am glad you brought that up too, because that's one thing that I failed to mention is you do need the paperwork and the paper trail and all that. But for the most part, from my experience, the paperwork and the paper trail is very minimal. It's more so there just to document everything. So when people hear that, don't get freaked out that there's thousands of papers you got to fill out. It's usually pretty minimal in my experience when it comes to that. It's more so just like you said, to document the history of what's going on and the plan per se. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love it when people say, yeah, I did a 1031 and I barely noticed anything happened. That means there was a good title company or escrow company and a good 1031 company, a good real estate agent to get a good 1031 company on board. And then it's just a few extra signatures, but you got to have them. You got to have them. But it's just selling and buying and you do have those time restrictions. You can line up properties before you closed on your sale. Did you do that in your case? Did you already have the properties ready to go or did you literally just start looking after he closed the sale and found them real fast. You can even put them under contract. <laughs> I put you on the spot, but did you tie some up ahead of time or what? How'd you do yours? We were starting to identify and the sale of the gas station took a little bit longer. It got delayed a couple of times. And so unfortunately, those properties that we did were starting to talk about had already been purchased. And so by the time his gas station sold, it was kind of a, hey, by the way, I just 
it just closed. They came up with the money and it's just closed. We have 45 days. And so it took us to the 44th day and I was dropping paperwork off on a Saturday to get it in because we were up against that 45 day time window. But we tried. We tried to be prepared and it didn't work out that way, but we got it taken care of. I'm so glad that I brought that up and you mentioned that. Yes, it gives us a chance to admit or acknowledge it is a juggling act. You can type properties ahead of time, but I realize if you do it too early, it's a waste of time. Okay, so it is a balancing act. So you just need to be aware of what's on the market and be aware of whether you think there's no point in really looking right now because it's too early. You don't want to get behind the eight ball. So, yeah, you want to stay in communication and then figure out when is the time to try to try to get an offer accepted with a contingency for your sale option or something. You're allowed to tie it up ahead of time. But, of course, either you can negotiate that or you can't always do that, of course. So, yeah, it's a balancing act. Um, yes, it is. And I keep saying it, it pays to have good people in your corner working with you as you go through this. Just like Greg is experienced, he's been doing it for years. It's worth every penny, in my opinion, albeit not many pennies. Like you said, it's yeah. relative to everything. <laughs> it's a good investment for people to make when they are going through the exchange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And if I could just spend one or two more minutes, even when I give a three hour class, it only takes two minutes to cover the last word, but it's just as important as the first two. And it's the negative word I mentioned. It's the defense. you got to know this for your protection. They made it easy where they let you sell and buy and have a third party hold the funds. The problem is qualified intermediary doesn't mean qualified intermediary any more than like kind means uh, like kind. Like kind is better than it sounds. Exchange is better than it sounds. Qualified intermediary is worse than it sounds because guess what? There are no qualifications to be a qualified intermediary. There is no regulation. And 1031 qualified intermediaries are holding your client's money or your money. The definition of a qualified intermediary, it includes everybody in the universe who's not disqualified. A qualified intermediary is everybody that's not disqualified. And guess what? They don't disqualify embezzlers. They don't disqualify someone who's never opened the tax code. They only disqualify the person's relatives or agents. So the term qualified intermediary only means someone that's independent. There's no regulation of them. Now, you can get around that. A common way is you're allowed, of course, to hire someone that is regulated. So some QIs are regulated because they choose to be owned by a regulated company. That's why all the good national title companies have good national 1031 companies. So that's kind of the easiest way that a lot of people protect themselves because the government's not protecting you. There's no regulation. There's no law that says the money even goes in the bank. We put in writing the money is in the bank, an A-rated bank with your name on it. The client's name is on it. But some QIs just put the money in their name. That allows them to steal the money. One company put it in the stock market. They weren't stealing it, but they put it in the stock market. And then in 08, all of a sudden, in one day, it crashed and the money was gone. You have to do your own due diligence and find out who owns your QI. Are they regulated? How much money do they have in reserves? What kind of insurance do they have, et cetera? What kind of controls? Are they audited a bunch internally and by outside good CPA firms? It just goes on and on. Does it require the landowner's signature for any money to be withdrawn? We have like 12 layers of security ourselves. And we're not the only company in the nation that does that. Like I said, if you just hit it with an axe, one big group that is all the big national title companies have good 1031 companies. Yeah. But obviously, I'd love for you to contact me if you don't have somebody. Well, and we'll make sure to put your info down in the show notes when this episode comes out. Greg, I appreciate you adding that last bit of information there because it sounds like it's pretty important. 
And I know for a fact that it is. Do your due diligence. And I appreciate your time and sharing your example deal of our friend that sold his 60-acre ranch for $6 bucks. Yep. Thanks, Greg. You bet. Thank you all. Thank you, Trent, very much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.